Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Erica, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Can I just say, it's been one of those weeks, so let's just, we can make this an open container. For that may be a doctor member. It may be something else. You don't know. We'll make it an open container Friday instead of an open line Friday. How about that? Just don't drink and drive, friends. That would be bad. The phone number here is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. I sent out at the beginning of the program a link to a series of recipes I've previously posted. The things I make on Sunday nights when my friends come over to watch football with me, there is that final professional football game on Sunday night. If you want some easy recipes, um, I got the the jalapeno poppers. That's the bacon-wrapped jalapenos. And I use breakfast sausage and cream cheese with some chili powder and stuff the jalapenos, wrap up the bacon, put it on the Rectec, uh, and they're they're fantastic. Um, the Lots of great recipes to send out to people. And um, my email buddy Greg just actually sent me a Boston butt one that I need to, I need to pass along to you guys. Um, but you can text the word recipe to 33777. If you follow the link through, you'll see the list of recipes. You don't have, there's no pay. Uh, you can ignore the pay. Uh, just get the recipes. There's some great ones there uh, for your Sunday night. They're all pretty easy too. None of them, some of them are like marinade for a little while, but they're pretty easy. I'm a big believer of breaking bread. Um, so um, that's it. Now, as I promised, I wanted to spend some time taking some phone calls uh, with all of you. And so I'm going to jump to the phones. I'm going to start with Jose. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Jose, how are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Um, sure. So basically, uh, yeah. So, you know, I really appreciate your political analysis and you really made me think. Um, there's only one other person that was able to do that, and that was the, um, that was the doctor of democracy, Rush Limbaugh. But any, but when you get into theology, um, especially Catholic theology, um, it's things appear to be a little shaky because um, um, you know I've I've been a revert, which is a person that returns to the Catholic Church for over thirty years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to a number of uh, theology conferences, a number of you know, listened to a lot of many apologetics like Matt Brad, Trent Horn, Jimmy Aiken. Um, read avid reader of the Pillar Catholic, um, just, but I've never once heard of Catholic accelerationists. My theory is, is if it's not taught in the catechism of the Catholic Church, it's not Catholic. So you can't put Catholic in front of a movement that's not part of the catechism. No, 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 no. okay. I, I, you might have misunderstood me or I might have misspoken. So I'm glad you called in so I could clarify this if I did misspeak. Uh, no, th- so there is a there is a movement in the country. It's it's not Catholic, um, it, it's not Protestant. But just bear with me. Put put that aside. It's not Catholic. It's not Protestant. Uh, hold on to that for a second. It, there's a movement okay. called accelerationists. It is a movement of they mostly are white nationalists in the country. Uh, there, are, there are some minority groups that feel the same way, but they're mostly white nationalists. And they believe that the country is on the verge of collapse. And uh, as being on verge of collapse, they want to accelerate the collapse. That's why they're called accelerationists, so that they can rebuild America. Now, I said they're not Catholic, they're not Protestant. They're not, but 
a lot of them believe that the reason the country is on the verge of collapse and needs to collapse is because the country lost its traditionalist underpinnings. So there are Catholics who are accelerationist, and there are Protestants who are accelerationist, even though it's not a religious movement. And what this FBI report had the audacity to say, and I'm not Catholic and I'm offended by them saying it, is that if you are what they call a radical traditionalist, you reject the Vatican II uh, Council and you believe in the Latin Mass, that you're probably one of those accelerationists. It was the FBI report saying that, not me. Um, There are Catholics who are accelerationists. There are Protestants who are accelerationists. And there are atheists who are accelerationists. The accelerationist movement isn't religious. But what the FBI said is that if you believe in the Latin mass, you're probably in the accelerationist movement. Okay. Well, I appreciate that clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But look, so now let me tell you why um, there are – people who have embraced radical traditional Catholicism and also fundamentalist Baptist movements that draw in accelerationists. And it's this underlying idea, and you got to keep this in mind, that there is a group of people, they tend to be white nationalists, they believe the country was once white. When we started opening the doors to other ethnicities, they pin that on the cultural decadence of society, not on sin in general or the richness of the country. They literally believe that when we open the doors to all the immigrants, that's when the country tipped over and needs to be pushed out of existence and rebuilt in a white image because they believe the cultural decadence came from all that. And the people who are religious and accelerationists grab hold of the hardcore traditionalist ideologies within faith. So they are do have a higher propensity towards, for example, liking the Latin mass because it's very old school. They have a hardcore traditionalist view of um, independent Baptists. Um, and so if they're a faith, they tend to be of the outer edges of all the faiths. But it, it's a bad idea for people to say accelerationism is, is a religious movement because it's really not. It's just a bunch of goofballs and crazy people who want to wipe out the country. Um, So that's it. I I hope that clarified it for you, just so you understand the ties there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also, the I don't understand. uh, I mean, it's not just you, but other people talking about uh, Latin mass and, uh, you know, being a a fringe of the Catholicism. And really, it's just, you know, just Catholics that really see the beauty in the old mass. Yeah, look, and now I don't I don't view it as, as fringe, by the way. I actually I'm not Catholic, but I love the Latin mass because I don't know. You know, so this is Jose. This is one. Oh, see, now I should have taken your call because now we're going to go down my personal rabbit hole and you're going to have to do it with me. Don't hang up on me. Okay, um, I'm here. Protestant and I'm I'm Presbyterian. And the thing that I think that that my side of the denominational divide overcorrected on is when you go into a Catholic church. And they are saying the Latin Mass, and the incense is going down the aisle, and there's stained glass, and there's candles. You feel a sense of the divine that you don't feel in a lot of uh, strip mall, non-denominational Protestant churches. You feel the presence of God, I think, in a way you don't. I think the Catholics got that right. Right. I mean, we could we believe Jesus is there. He's there in the Eucharist. He's, he's there in the tabernacle. Yeah, and that's just, why we, uh, you know, worship and adore him there. 
I and like you and I, we would disagree on the, on the presence of Christ and the Eucharist and stuff, and, and that's fine. But I, I think that my side of the aisle got things wrong when they took the beauty out of churches. Um, I just now I happen to go to a church that has stained glass, and it, it's a it's a Protestant church with stained glass, and and the music, the way it just vibrates the wood in the church, it it does something. It makes you feel the presence of the Lord, but. I don't know these big band churches and stuff. And then I think, uh, honestly, I think a lot of the the Catholic churches went off the reservation in the seventies here in the states, where they embraced that that ugly architecture from the seventies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're still <laughs> recovering from that. Yes, well, yeah, keep recovering. All right, I won't keep you. That's my personal. That's my personal thing on on religion. But thank you for the phone call. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 877-973-7425. I, I just honestly, y'all, I, I'm not a Catholic. I have friends who are trying to convert me to Catholicism. It's not going to work. I am a Calvinist. Uh, yeah, I am I am predestined to not become a Catholic. But I, the beauty, gosh, you go to Europe and you see the old cathedrals. It's just there's there's a beauty there. We I'm I'm traditional in architecture. So random aside here. When I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher, Mr. Middlebrooks. He he actually passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, to this day, probably one of my favorite teachers. And he developed this what do they call it mnemonic or whatever? I, nah, I can't remember the name of it. Where you essentially you build a house in your head to house all your information and like oh. You know, the stuff about cooking, you've housed it in the kitchen in your head. All the stuff about this, you've housed somewhere else. And and I never really got it. That's not the way I think. And he tried to get us all to think that way, and it never worked for me. But I built the house in my head. And I love traditional architecture. Uh, I love the Greek Revival, Greco-Roman. I don't really like modernist architecture, although modernist takes on old stuff. Some of it is impressive to me. I just One day I want to build my house. Uh, I've mentioned before my buddy Vince, the home builder in Atlanta. I, I want him to build my house, and he builds these houses. There's a, a architecture firm called um, Historical Concepts, and they specialize in building uh, like old school architecture. None of this modernist cubist crap that I just think lacks a soul. And one day I want my house, but I gotta have money and all this stuff to gotta have land. But this house is in my head. It's a beautiful house. It has the white uh, Doric columns with balconies, and it's kind of an H-shape with things on the end, so every room gets light from three different angles. Uh, and I've had this house in my head forever. And one day I want this house built, and I'm going to have to sell my wife on it because it's bigger than I think she would want. But there's just – we. I think you'll, we lost something in the 70s and the 80s when we built up buildings that really had no uh, – they, they didn't have a soul and there's a movement, a traditionalist movement. I, I see it on Twitter, and some of them are kind of weird. Like, they're all real gym bros. Like, like we got to have, like, our body is a temple to God. I got to have abs. Look, I would love to not be fat, and I got to work on the diet, but I know what it takes to get, like, 5% body fat, and I want to eat. I, I like my carbs. 
And so I don't want to go there, but the traditionalist architectural values, these, I hate the neighborhoods where every single house looks the same. I actually had a relative who had moved to Las Vegas, uh, my dad's sister. And she told me one time she lived in a neighborhood and she hated it so much because every house looked the same and she never wanted to like live there long-term. And she would always drive down the road, hitting her garage door button to see which garage door opened. And she knew that was her house because she hated the neighborhood so much and all the houses looked alike. And I'm like, yes. I, I, I hate this I, I house. Your home should have a soul and all these neighborhoods where all the houses. And I realized they're, they're mass produced. It keeps the price down. You can't afford to, to have the unique. I totally get that. I'm not, I'm just saying our society has lost its soul when it comes to beauty. I mean, we're in this, this weird age now where you stick a toilet seat on the wall and behold, it's art. No, it's a toilet seat on the wall. Behold, it's art. No, it's a crucifix in a jar of pee. That's that's not art. That's disgusting. And yet we're told that this stuff is. It's like so much of society tries to bully us into saying truth is lie and lie is truth. Like with the whole transgender thing. No, I'm sorry. You're not a girl. No, I'm sorry. You're not a boy. And and why do we have to? Why do we have to do these things? It's like I know what it is. It's like Jean-Luc Picard and the lights with the Cardassian. There are four lights. And they keep to no, no, no. There are three lights. There are three lights. Uh, no, there are four lights. I mean, why we, we keep going through this? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. No, it's not beautiful. It's it's ugly crap. Why do I have to tell you it's beautiful? Lord, it's like the Martin Luther King Jr. statue in Boston. Uh, I can't play you the audio because there's profanity, but the black comedian Le- Leslie Jones was filling on the on the Daily Show, and she's like, "We got a problem when the blacks and the proud boys all agree it's crap." I'm like, no, that's not a problem. There's unity in this this the the arms holding each other. Where when you look at it from a certain angle, it looks like a sex act. It was a terribly done statue of a little known picture, and everyone's all the whites are like, "Oh, that's so gorgeous." Those BIPOC are going to love the statue we whites built today. Those BIPOCs better be grateful for us whites building them the statue of Martin Luther King and leaving his face off of it. Oh, love us, BIPOCs. What's a BIPOC? Black, indigenous, people of color. Well, I'm not a people of color. Uh, It's just the, the whole thing. Why are we here? It's societal madness. And the wildfire, it's going to burn itself out eventually. I just don't know how many casualties it's going to have along the way. But people have gone insane, and it's reflected in the lack of soul in our art and architecture as well. There's my tirade of the day. It's all Jose's fault. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. 
Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, a free-for-all today, possibly an open container Friday. We'll see. Let's go back to the phones. Taylor, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Eric, my man, two quick points, and then I'll hang up and listen to your response. All right. All right. So the first one is uh, devout Christian, follower of Christ. What's bananas is uh, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, close to Buford. Uh not enough people listening to your radio show, in my opinion, because you have the guts to stand up for what you believe in. So I wanted to just, as a fellow follower of Christ, say you don't – well, you might know, but you maybe don't, so I'm just going to let you know how much you mean to those of us that are listening behind the scenes saying, man, I wish I had the microphone that you do – and I wish I was as well-spoken as you are and had the confidence enough that you do to preach the truth. And I'm on Twitter with you, and I'm watching everybody just rag you out on a daily basis. And I, I know I couldn't take it. So I just wanted to, as a fellow follower of Christ, say how much you mean to us, give you a little bit of a prop rolling into the weekend, and just say that we love you and that we're praying for you on a daily basis. Well, I appreciate that tremendously. You clearly didn't tell the call screener this, or he would have never let you on. I know, right, yeah. (laughs) But but more importantly, more importantly, uh, I have been waiting to make the Nashville hot fried chicken sandwich since you put it out at Christmas, and I will have to tell you, it seemed to be a tad rushed, because as I'm going through the uh, recipe steps, extremely anal on this side, it seems that you're missing a couple of steps. So I wanted you, if you wouldn't mind, over the weekend or just whenever you can, go back and check and see. There might have been a couple of steps on those first front end about the spices and the oil and all this, because it was like, here's this, and then here's the end result. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what about this? So just wanted to have you. See if I'll you go pull it me. back up and see, because, you know, I, I actually did like hammer it like I worked and worked and worked to got it where I wanted. And then I, I, I was missing the deadline. So I might have I, I might have screwed that up. I'll go back and check a, it. At least two steps. At least two steps. All I'm right. Thinking. I'll go find it uh, and I will correct it. Sorry about that. It, it, it works. So I will I'll have to figure out what I did wrong. But, yeah, I, I actually was rushing. So it, it's kind of funny. So here's the comment. Um, some, some guy, I, I'll say complaining, he, he, he said otherwise about your spicy chicken recipe. <laughs> That's the comment on the call screening program. So I will go fix this. Clearly my mistake here. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Uh, when we come back, I'll take more of your phone calls. Only got 30 seconds here. 877 973 seven four two five if you want to be on the program and i gotta revisit i my throwaway topic of isolation yesterday triggered a massive pile of emails and i need to answer some questions for all of you you may have when we come back y'all i want to be real honest with you uh i have looked because you have asked me to look for a reputable gold company 
that can give you advice and answer your questions that's not gimmicky. Like, for example, some of them do certificates, and some of them they try to rope you in with other stuff. You are interested in precious metals for your retirement savings uh, to ease the ebbs and flows of inflation and wild swings in the stock market. Advantage Gold. Advantage Gold. That's who you want to call. Uh, Advantage Gold, I have looked into them. I have had them answer my questions And it is not one of these gimmicky places. There aren't tricks. They really just want you to have a great experience learning how to be a gold investor. Give them a call, 800-450-2566, 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. You can get their free gold and IRA investment kit, but call them if you got questions. They're good people, 800-450-2566. So I just did something and I can't tell you all about it. (laughs) Just signed a piece of paper, but I'll tell you about it next week. Uh, I want to go to the phones. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Before I do, uh, Jay Starkman is a CPA in Atlanta and he emailed me. He actually published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in September, he said, uh, and he put this in to answer the Social Security question. He says, there's no, he says, there's never was a lockbox for Social Security. The real problem is the Social Security surpluses are used to camouflage and hide the size of the real debt. President Lyndon Johnson was burdened with high deficits from his guns and butter strategy of continuing the Vietnam War while pursuing great society welfare. In early 1968, he sought to hide the magnitude of the deficit by combining surpluses in Social Security and all other trust funds with the federal deficit into a unified budget, which still projected an $8 billion deficit that year. There you have it. There you have it. Okay. Uh, I have I have just, just fantastically smart listeners. Now, uh, I want to go to Lewis. You're going to be up next. Welcome. Eric, um, you mentioned the Amish a few year, a few weeks ago, and I pick up a lot of lumber from the Amish. They keep us hopping. But also on top of that, uh, there was a guy named Jacob Graber who did a documentary called Breaking the Silence of the Amish. And they, they started to realize that as more and more they read the Bible, they realized they were just keeping a bunch of the Amish rules. Even though the Amish really don't pose a threat to anybody, but only themselves, but trying to keep their tradition from their Swiss heritage and the German heritage. And uh, it was just such a moving documentary that they realized that their freedom was in Christ. It wasn't in keeping with the, with the, with the Amish community. And a lot of the Amish today still believe that the German, German-Dutch Bible is the only Bible that exists until right. they get an eye-opening of what that truth really is. And, you know, their argument from people who leave uh, the Amish community to the ones who are, are freeing themselves, and they don't hate being Amish. They just hate the fact that they were blindfolded by that untruth. It's kind of like the Jews arguing with Jesus, and they didn't want to see the grace. They wanted to follow a bunch of rules. So are, and, are, um, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand where you're going with. Well... You know, a lot of people are blindfolded. In fact, they got to stay within their church guideline instead of following the rules of Jesus or following the grace of Jesus. And um, I, I think that's another part of our society, the Amish, 
they keep away from everybody because they do not want to be disturbed. Well, it, they do okay. not want to be a part of the regular society. I mean, can you blame them? Their kids aren't out there twerking and listening to 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 Cardi B. Um, they're, they're <laughs> look, okay, I, I I see your point. At, at the same time, I I also think you got to respect whether it's uh, the Orthodox Jewish community that wants to say the community of interest or the Amish and their lifestyle. They actually do have a period of time where Amish kids, when they hit eighteen, go see the world and see if they come back to them. Kind of like I tell my wife all the time, you, you let me go to Las Vegas, and if I come back to you, I was always meant to be yours. <laughs> the, the kids do that. Or the, the, the LDS community, the Mormons, um, there's something to be said about living in communities of interest where everyone shares values. And we as a country used to do that until the 1950s and 60s with Supreme Court decisions where your local community of values and interests had to be uh, the, the, the one person who disagreed could upend all of society around you. Uh, regardless, I'm not going to make a judgment on the, the, the faith of a denomination um, like the Amish and, and what they believe or don't believe, but I support their right to believe what they believe and live how they like to live and, and think everybody should. And the problem is, uh, I'm look. I believe like if Trent San Francisco wants drag queen story hour, let them. But I just don't think my neighborhood needs to have it, and don't think they should be able to force it on me. Um, live and let live. There's breaking news though. I got to get to breaking news instead because this has just happened. Uh, this is just from the White House. John Kirby. Uh, let me reroute the audio here so you can hear this because there's been another object. So I can confirm that the Department of Defense was tracking a high-altitude object over Alaska airspace in the last 24 hours. Out, uh, the, uh, the object was flying at an altitude of uh, 40,000 feet and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. Out of an abundance of caution and at the recommendation of the Pentagon, President Biden ordered the military to down the object, and they did. And it came in inside our territorial waters. Now, those waters right now are frozen, but inside uh, territorial uh, airspace and over territorial waters. Wait a second. Inside territorial, it's frozen. Are they not worried about casualties? I mean, we were told last week the balloon had to traverse all of the nation and get to the Atlantic before they could shoot it down. And now they're just shooting these things down? Fighter aircraft assigned to U.S. Northern Command, took down the object within the last hour. Another, now they're just shooting them because the blowback, the polling blowback was bad. That That's the ridiculous one. If you're just tuning in late Friday afternoon, in the last uh, few hours, the Air Force has shot down another Chinese spy balloon, this time over Alaska, frozen waters. Uh, they're no longer waiting for it to traverse the nation. They're no longer worried about casualties in the shipping lanes or on the ground. They're just shooting them down now because the public was upset and the Chinese are going to keep doing these things. Uh, this one in particular, notice their grounds. They're saying because of where it was flying and how high it was flying, it was interfering with airspace. It was a danger to planes. Wasn't as high as the last one yet, um, it appeared. So that's why they're doing it, uh, which does, again, make you wonder why they didn't shoot down the last one. My theory is, had that guy in Montana not seen it, had that guy in Montana not caught a picture of it and the local media run with it, they would have never shot down that hot air balloon, that weather balloon, spy balloon. 
I think the only reason they shot that spy balloon down is because it got seen by the public and turned into a story, and they were hoping they could just let it go away. It is a thousand million billion trillion percent true that the way these weather balloons present, they're not easily detectable by the satellites, and they are not easily detectable by radar. Radar goes straight through the balloons. But when the balloons are carrying a giant spy platform underneath them with solar panels, it lights up the radar. The satellites may miss it, but radar will light up. And as Marco Rubio told me on this program, there were agencies of the federal government that saw that balloon coming, and they just thought everybody would ignore it, and it would go away, and they could jam its signal. It transmitted electronically. They could jam the signal so it couldn't transmit the data back to China. And everything would be fine, and no one would notice. It was only when people started noticing that they got all bent out of shape about it and they had to do something. That That's it. And now, because everybody's watching for more balloons, they're having to do more of it. Um, it's just funny how they say, oh, we, we couldn't do this over rural Idaho. We, we might have hurt somebody. Have you ever been to northern Montana and Idaho? I mean, the only sorts of people you find up there are like my radio producer, and they're expendable. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He does have insurance, I hope, for his family. But, no, I mean, in all seriousness, you, you go up there, there's not a whole lot up there. There, there's not, there are some small towns, and th- there's, there's a lot of broad territory up there where you could totally have shot this down. And they waited. And I really don't believe the excuse that they thought, well, there could be nuclear material, there could be biological material, radiological material. I don't think that's it at all. I think they thought that it would just sail on by, sight unseen, everybody would move on, and they would never know. And only when people knew did they react. That's it. That's what happened. And the consequences continue to play out. Now, as promised, um, I need to talk a little bit more real quick about isolation. I Look, I, I got to be honest with you. I talked about this, spent more time on it yesterday than I intended, in large part because I've wanted to talk about it several times, and there was a ton of news, and yesterday was kind of slow, and I started talking about it. I don't map these things out. Literally, it is off the top of my head. There's no outline. Sometimes you can tell, I think. Um, Sometimes I think you can tell, and everybody around was like, oh, such a good show today. I was like, no, that was crap. I I missed key points. Um, But yesterday, if you weren't tuning in, one in five single men don't have any friends. Two in five married men do not hang out with people of the same sex on a friendly basis outside their family. The number of men in this country who went from saying they had five or more friends before COVID was 52%. It's now 19%. There's a massive amount of isolation in this country. It is happening to women too. Don't think it's not happening to women. It is, but it is more likely to happen to a man. And one of the reasons I send out recipes 
there are a couple of reasons. One is I think that it's hard to hate someone when you break bread with them. And I would encourage you to put yourselves in positions to meet people you might disagree with politically where they can see that you're not the, the monster they think you are or, in, or they, they, you can see that they're not the monster you think they are. But more importantly, so that you might have some incentive to break bread with friends. Because it, it really, like for the Super Bowl this weekend, it, it's a perfect time to invite people. I'm not saying have a massive, massive party, but have a couple of friends over. Or go somewhere with friends and watch this football game just so you're in the company of other people around your age. I honestly, most of my friends, there are some exceptions, but most of my friends are 10, 15 years younger than me. Which is kind of the when, when I was a kid, a lot of my friends were older than me. Uh, and as I've gotten older, a lot of my friends are younger than me. And I think that's fine. I saw somebody the other day that um, they put up a thing. Would, would you rather be uh, 31 and broke or 45 um, with all of your life obligations? I thought I'd rather be 45 with all my life obligations because I can still hang out with my, my 35, 30-year-old friends late at night and, and uh, drink as much as they're drinking and smoke as many cigars as they're smoking and stay up as late as they're staying up. But now I got the money to actually enjoy it, unlike when I was their age. But nonetheless, uh, just having friends, you're, I don't have a lot of friends my age. Um, we, which is fine. Most of my friends are there. I mean, late thirties, early forties, I'm 47, uh, which is fine. Uh, totally fine. But having those friendships is invaluable as you get older. So here's the thing I was telling this group last night. When I talk about Rush Limbaugh, it, it really isn't to name drop. He really was a friend, like genuine friendship and also a real mentor of mine. I could email or text Rush day or night and get a response from him. We were night owls. If you ever heard Rush Limbaugh talking about the friend who was sending him the Apple updates during the Apple stuff while he was on the air, that was me. I would send him the notes, all the stuff that was happening during the Apple events. We, we had a good friendship. And in radio and in law and in finance, and in every aspect of your career, you can look over your right shoulder and you have a mentor there. And when you run into a problem, you can look over your shoulder and you can say, hey, I have this thing that's never happened to me before. What do I do? And they've probably experienced it in life and they know. And then one sad day comes where you look over your right shoulder and there's just the mirror and you're looking back at yourself. And you've become that person. And the key to wisdom and maturity is to recognize that when you see yourself in the mirror instead of your mentor, to recognize it's now your obligation to turn to the left and begin to mentor all the people to your left based on the advice all the people who used to be on your right gave you. And to develop friendships with those people and to not covet the position that you're in so much that you refuse to share the knowledge. It's like it breaks my heart to hear the stories about the heirloom family recipes that the grandmother or the grandfather refused to share. So when they died, that meal is gone. My in-laws had a, had a relative who had a, uh, like a hot sauce recipe or a spice recipe that the entire family loves. And, and the woman went to her grave refusing to share the recipe. And it just it, it kills me that people do that. Don't be that sort of person. Share your knowledge and wisdom and information. And part of that is acquiring and maintaining friendships with people in and out of your field to help each other grow. And here's 
the new data. I mentioned yesterday about all the people who uh, they have health, like physical health problems because of their isolation. It turns out the people who do best in their career fields are also the people who they may be introverted. They may not have a lot of friends. They may not like crowds. They may not like the parties, but they're the people who have cultivated friendships of people in and out of their sphere of influence and job so that they can be mentors to other people in other fields and live life with those people. And when you do that, you tend to be more successful in your job just by sharing your wisdom and knowledge and time with people, even in people in other career fields. And it becomes this reinforcing thing for each of you to build you both up. So again, I just, I'm going to end this week where, where I, I spent way more time yesterday than I intended. So many of us isolated ourselves before and during COVID. And now is the time because we have so much now medical and scientific information to realize you're killing yourself by isolating yourself. Not only are you killing yourself, you're stunting your professional and personal growth by isolating yourself. And it's hard to get out of the box, but force yourself to do it if you can. Go buy an Eden Pure Thunderstorm and clean the air and just start over. Uh, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, you can get a three-pack right now. Go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com. Like the Garden of Eden, pure is the driven snow, EdenPureDeals.com. You will be met with a discount code box. The discount code box, you put in ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, and you will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement or your RV, wherever you need it, travel bag like I do. You can hold it in your hand, plug it into the wall or with a USB cord in a car, and it wipes out odors, smoke odors, litter box odors, pet odors, cooking odors, musty odors. It eliminates the odors. All you have to do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. On the front page, you'll see the discount code box that you put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, EdenPureDeals.com. Yep, you're going to want to for the football game. I got some good recipes in there, and I will get back to sending them regularly, I promise. Um, you, you know, some people actually do a subscription, and it's actually helped me just to be able to buy groceries and stuff for recipe development. So I will do that. At the end of the show, can we all laugh about libertarians? Please, can we laugh about libertarians? So the libertarians uh, were holding, going to hold an anti-war rally later this month against the Ukraine war. They've been thrown into disarray uh, because they can't decide whether a convicted child sex predator should participate. Pressure mounted internally for the Libertarian Party, according to the Washington Free Beacon, to disinvite Scott Ritter from the rally. After the Washington Free Beacon reported about Ritter's criminal past, which included a 2011 prison stint for um, getting off online in front of an undercover cop he believed to be an underage girl. He was arrested twice in 2001 after showing up for what he thought was meeting a 14- and 15-year-old girls. Uh, but Ritter's status as a featured speaker for the Rage Against the War Machine rally is still in limbo. The internal fight over whether a pedophile should have a place on stage at the rally has drawn in not only leadership of the Libertarian Party, but also high-profile defenders of Ritter, including Fox, former Fox News personality Andrew Napolitano and Tara Reid, who emerged as anti-war activists. Uh, only the Libertarians would argue over putting a pedophile on a stage.